0: Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for uh, the grace that you've given us. We thank you for the hope that is ours because of your ultimate triumph, your victory over all things. We thank you, Father God, we can look ahead to see this, uh, believing it will take place in our time, even come now, Lord Jesus. Uh, But Father, we thank you that you help us also to have a passion for Those who don't know this message, that they too may be saved, and find this glory of eternal life with you, we thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name, Amen. 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 All right, so we're in uh, Revelation 22, and uh, we're going to start in verse three, uh, because there's just one part here. I didn't get this section finished uh, in our last lesson, so. Revelation 22 and verse 3, he's talking about those who will be there. He's talked about the river of life. He talked about the tree of life. Um, And then he says in verse uh, 3, no longer will there be anything accursed. So we talked about that. But the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. So we finished with that uh, section last week those two phrases that uh, our eternal work will be worshiping the Lord. And so the word servant there, um, don't take it wrong, it is the Greek word translated slave, uh, it just means that this is our, our work, this is what we do and we will worship him for eternity. And so the idea of this, uh, this service to the Lord, but our service is worship and our worship is service so it's a it's a glorious thing that we will find when we see him and then verse four and uh this to me is like the crowning glory of the whole thing all of the book of revelation has been leading us to this place they will see his face this is probably the 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 highest glory that we will imagine now the cities beautiful The new heaven, new earth, beautiful. You know, watching the destruction of the the enemy and all of those things, it was wonderful. Seeing all the triumph of the Lord in his return, yeah, that's wonderful. Experiencing the rapture, that's wonderful. Visions of the throne room in heaven, wonderful, but nothing like this that we, after all this time, will see his face. So, it says, And they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. There will be no no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Things that we've covered in other passages, it's just that John just gets this, instruction just to tell them again tell them again you know sometimes God has to tell you over and over the good things you know we, we do that you know in our family we tell one another we love them it's not like it changed since the last time I said it but I just want you to know and He just wants us to know there's not going to be any experience there like what we have down here. It's just different. And the fact that there's no light, no lamps or sun, um, the implication of that is also, as I said before, there'll be no shadows. There's no dark places. The buildings will be, like, transparent. Uh, It's pretty amazing. christina has been teaching on heaven to the little ones and so the children have been having these lessons and she talked about those types of things she told me today I was asking her so how did you teach you know like the new heaven and new earth she talked about the gold is going to be there that everything was going to be gold and so a couple of the kids it's like, you mean like jewelry (laughs) and they said she said well yeah but no it's like everything is gold, the ground is gold, the walls are gold, and and she was explaining that. And the little girl said, "But you can't wear it." <laughs> and it's like, what good is it if you can't wear it? So, in little minds, the so the them is the gold is something that you wear, but uh, it's going to be glorious. But that phrase, they. We'll see his face. This is something that um, comes like the conclusion of everything that's John has seen. Um, I read this little passage you can you can read this with me. I got this out of one of my commentaries uh, printed there on your on your page. The ancient Mariner sailing westward along the coastlines of the Mediterranean came at last to the pillars of Hercules, which we call the Straits of Gibraltar, Gibraltar, so exiting the Mediterranean Sea into the Atlantic. When they came to this point in their travels, they drew back. It was one thing to hug the coastlines and to sail from isle to isle, but it was something else to venture forth into the great unknown, which came the fearful billows of the mighty deep. And by the way, that is an incredibly boisterous sea, tumultuous sea around that area. And so to them, this was great fear. And so they had a phrase that they would say when they came there in Latin, ne plus ultra, which means there's nothing beyond. Well, there was, but fear kept them back. There's nothing beyond, there's nothing more. And in a sense, he made this application in this passage, and I like this: the once we see his face, there's really nothing beyond that. Yeah, there's a couple verses. We're gonna, you know, no light, no death, no sorrow, no tragedy, no darkness. But that's all stuff has already been said. This last phrase, "they will see his face," is the end of John's vision. That's it. Everything after this, starting in verse 6, is talking. Either Jesus talking, an angel talking, or John talking. It's kind of like a review. But this they will see his face, it's, it's like the, the ultimate conclusion to everything. We've seen all that trouble and all those things, but this, this is it. They will see his face. And one commentary called this the crowning glory and joy. Nothing beyond. We've seen wondrous things, but there is nothing greater than the fact that we will see his face. It's something Moses desired, and Moses said he was the humblest of all men so if anybody could see God's face it could have been Moses but it wasn't Moses desired it exodus chapter 33 but the Lord said you will see my back but you but my face must not must not be seen exodus 33 23 in our Christian era uh, God's face is glimpsed through Christ but Not in his glorified state. We'll talk about that in a minute. Through his word, we look into the word. We're changed from glory to glory. Through the cross, we we see, in a sense, the face of Christ in the cross. His sorrow for us, his desire for us, his passion for us. People have said they've seen God in a vision. They've seen the face of Jesus. I don't know. Nobody in the Bible did, but I'm not saying they didn't. But if they did, it was in a vision. It wasn't in reality. There's a difference between a vision and real. Heaven's not going to be a vision. It's going to be real. And the desire of God is that we would be with Him in a way that we have never been with Him before and that he will be our God and we will be his people in a way that he has never been that before. And here we will see the face of our glorified Lord and Savior in a way that his face has never been seen before. This is the ultimate that God has brought us to. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, talking about when we're looking into the word, 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Yes, that's true as we look into the Word, but we're not really seeing the physical face of Jesus. We're transformed. And as we meditate in His Word, as we study His Word, we see it in a way that no one in the Old Testament saw it. But we see that because he's, it's revealed and we are transformed from one state of glory to another, but never to the full transformation that's going to take place uh, when we see the Lord fully. Peter, John, James, Saul, they saw Jesus in a sense glorified. But they didn't see his face. Every passage, it says, Matthew 17, on the transfiguration, and he was transfigured before them, his face shone like the sun. Do you ever try to look at the sun? You can do it for a few minutes. Can you do it long enough to see the sunspots? and the? No, you can't, because it will burn your eyes. Acts chapter 9, as Saul was journeying, it says, He went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And then later he tells his testimony again in Acts 26, the bottom of your page he said, At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun. Alright, that's pretty incredible. And then the top of the next page, Revelation chapter 1 16, John, at the very beginning of this book as the Lord comes and appears before him, and there he sees the glorified risen Lord. He's No longer humiliated by man. He's no longer bound. He's no longer uh, on a cross, beaten. He sees him here. But what does it say about his face? And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Again, you can see that, but you can't see the substance. The light overpowers everything even John in later chapters in the book of Revelation he saw the glory around the throne but he didn't really see anything into it it was like this glorious mist at times and he heard a voice coming from the throne but he couldn't see who the voice was that's why he calls it the voice it's just it was a voice i was it the father i don't know was it jesus i don't know sometimes by the by the direction or the words that are spoken you can pretty much come to a conclusion whether it was the father or the son but otherwise he just says a voice speaking out of this eternal light so in all these things this glory of god shines out at the rapture we're going to be changed into his glorious image and so we see that from revelation chapter 4 and onward is where we stand in heaven in the rapture John saw all the things that took place during the tribulation but not once did he see the face of Jesus he saw angels he saw all kinds of creatures and he saw the beast and many other things he saw the fire around the throne but he never saw the face of Jesus it's never spoken until now so in chapter 22, when we finally get to this place in the new heaven and the new earth, we will see his face. And this is the glory that we will find when we stand before him. And then it says in twenty-four or 22, verse 4, the second half, it says, and his name will be on their foreheads. So God's name will be upon us. Now, people have asked me, is that going to be like tattooed? Is it going to be engraved? Is it going to be on a band? Well, if you go back to the type in the Old Testament, the priests wore a band upon their head. It said holy unto the Lord. It didn't have their name. It didn't even say Yahweh. It said holy to the Lord. And so they were to to remember that. They were marked as holy to the Lord. So what does this mean for us? The only other people throughout the book of Revelation, the only other time it says that the people were marked on their foreheads is that we're able to identify is the 144,000. All right? Now, there's other places it says and all of those who did not take the mark of the beast, but were had the mark of the Lord. It talks about it being there, but they're not necessarily named or identified So, what does it mean to have this name on our foreheads well it's it's to bear god's name is to be identified with him to be in direct uh, relationship privilege protection but also identity recognition you know the (laughs) all right some of you know mike goolsby He was on staff at Grace for years, and then he became pastor at at, uh, Destiny. (laughs) He told me one time, he says, when he travels, especially overseas, he wears a collar. He said, you'd be surprised what kind of attention it gets you and how you get favor. And he said, I get all kinds of favor just because I'm wearing this collar, Mike. Mike. Mike would do that. Right? <laughs> Mike would do that. And if, if, if it was wearing a band on his head, that, it, Mike, Mike would probably do that. Now, when he traveled with us to China, no collar. No, no collar. No, Mike, we're not doing a collar thing. Not in China. All right, so the, the whole thing of identity and relationship, but it's also a seal. Remember the Bible says that once we're when we're saved, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13 and 14. And this is the the seal of the Spirit of God that is upon us. And so we bear this seal of the Lord, which is our identity. It says, You belong to me. We're his. And this this name on the forehead is not just for us or other people to see, it's for God to say, You are mine. You're mine. Isn't that glorious to know that we are his? Yeah. And so this name will be upon their foreheads. Then verse 5 says, and night will be no more. We've already read that. There'll be no need of light of lamp or sun. The Lord will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. So this is the This is the privilege that comes. Because we're identified with him. What did we do to get identified? What did we do? We believed. We accepted the gift of Jesus Christ. We accepted his grace. We didn't have to do all kinds of things. We didn't have to earn it. We didn't have to buy it. Can I buy one of those nameplates? No. No, you can't. Some people think that it's it cheapens salvation to not have to work for it you would be surprised reading commentaries when they talk about salvation by grace alone that meaning you had no effort meaning it's not costing you anything and therefore you're not going to take it seriously it's what they call cheap grace and it's, a, it, it's because they're saying, what I've done for the Lord has to matter. I'm a little bit better than that group. Yeah. Jen, I like to watch a lot of the British dramas and TV things. We're watching a series now about uh, a do- woman doctor in England in the late 1800s. And these people these people in this upper level of society i i just i would i'd like to shoot them really seriously <laughs> they they are the most just they are incredibly arrogant and non-caring and they they have absolutely no compassion for anyone and all they think about is their status and their position like that's not what the seal of God is all about. Our salvation is all about him. You are mine because of what I did and what I've done. And I know we've talked about the crowns and the rewards, and that will mention that a little bit more down here in the coming verses, but, you know, in all of that, those are rewards are just what we did with what he gave us. It's not about me. It's really about him. Alright, so now we come to this last section that starts in verse 6 and goes through verse 21, and I just call this soon, soon, soon and soon. Yeah, this is the original Sooners, I know I had to say that. John's visions are over. So there's no more visions. The things that take place between here and and in the end are conversations. And for me, I've read a number of commentaries, uh, opinions on this, but for me, John is back in his cave on the Isle of Patmos. He's, He's seen all of that, came to the end, in his vision saw the face of Jesus. But then notice, John didn't say, I saw his face. Didn't say that, did he? He said they shall see his face. It's like he's describing it, but he didn't see it. Are you with me on that? He didn't. He didn't say I saw his face. If if you had, would you have told people? (laughs) I would. (laughs) I would have made it known. No. He was back in his cave. This whole thing is under, over, you know, I can see a little bit of bewilderment, um, questioning. Um, you know, I'm going to take some questions at the end of our course here tonight, but nothing like I'd like to ask, uh, Jesus, I got a couple questions here. How many got questions that you want Jesus to straighten out? I mean, we've all, we've all said them. I'm going to talk to God about this when I get to heaven, but here's the reality You won't. You won't. Your knowledge will be perfect, right? Because now you see through a glass darkly, but then you'll see face to face. And now you only know partly, but then you'll know perfectly. Okay, so that's so much for that. All my questions will will be like fluff. (laughs) Meaningless. But I'm sure that John... Is trying to bring this about. Now, I don't know if John wrote as he was seeing things. There's some indication that he, that he was. And we already read in one place where the Lord said, Hey, write this down. <laughs> it's like he had to nudge him a little bit. Write this down. I've told people that, you know, in my classes. <laughs> write this down. You're gonna see it. It's gonna be on a test. Well, for John, it wasn't gonna be on a test. For John, it was he needed to tell us. We needed to know. John was gonna live for we don't know, maybe several years after this. There's there's question whether after John wrote his gospel after his time on Patmos or before. And there's there's weight in both ways. But How long did he live after this? I don't know. But he knew, just like the prophets of the Old Testament knew, that what he was shown and what he was to write was not just for him. It was for people he would never see. It was for generations that were in the years to come. John knew that he was writing something that was... Just like the prophet Isaiah who wrote 700 years before Jesus. Yet, he talked about things that were going to take place in Jesus' day. So all those people in between were supposed to read it and look for it. Jesus got there and said, this is it. It's fulfilled in me. So, there's important things that John has seen. And so, in his postscript, he, he begins to write, and in that, he's visited by an angel, the Lord comes and talks to him, and John talks to us. So, let's go through this section, starting in 22, verse 6, bottom of page 2. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true, faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Who are the servants that John's speaking about? Put your hand up. Yep, that's us. We are the servants that he has sent. And the same God who influenced the prophets, the spirit of the prophets, right? And so the God of the spirits of the prophets is the same one that sent his angel to give this message to us. Not just to John. The message wasn't just to John. It was to us. So John knew that he had to write this down, that this had to be passed along. Because what was here, I'm sure if I was John, I would say, Okay, I've seen all of that, but Jesus, can we just jump from here to chapter 4? All a right, skip over the seven churches age. I'm ready for chapter 4. Let's go right now up to heaven. But it didn't happen in John's day. So God took him. But you know what? John knew that this was for people who were to come. And as we're going to read, it was also for people who didn't believe. It was to be a warning and an invitation to people who weren't believers in his day and after. And because John was going to write it and what's written stays here, doesn't get taken to heaven, that when the rapture takes place and the Christians are all taken, it's their Bibles that are left behind. So mark your Bibles well. (laughs) All right? Put all kinds of notes in there. Because after the rapture, somebody's going to find that Bible. Think about it. Uh, wow. So, what does he say? As soon as angels show servants what must soon, must soon take place. So this word "soon" just keeps coming up. Verse seven. And behold, wait a minute. We got a different voice now. Between chapter 6, verse 6, and verse 7, a different voice comes across. And, in, in the Greek language, it's, it's, a, it's a form of the word and, but it's a little bit changed. We would almost say, and then, right? and then, behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy Of this book. This is the voice of Jesus himself. Now this is the first time that we've heard the voice of Jesus since the early chapters when John was viewing the things taking place in heaven. But directly the voice of Jesus, this is really the first time it's perfectly identified. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now, first, the angel spoke and spoke about the faithful and true witness. We've seen that already. There's, I just put down three references. Uh, Jesus called himself the faithful and true witness, Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. Then it says, in Jesus' return, Revelation chapter 19, as the army is coming forth, and it says, and the one coming to conquer is called, faithful and true. And then this voice comes to him from the throne, declared, his words are faithful and true. This this identity, faithful and true, there's other places where the word faithful is, is used in reference to the Lord. There's places where true or the true one or the truth is used in reference to him. This is a, an identity of something. What is what is so different? Because this is not like anything we know. As I shared with you before, the most common way that God speaks about himself, the most common um, adjective God uses for himself is faithful. We say holy, angels say holy, God says faithful. Holy being altogether different, separate, distinct, not like anything else. What makes God like not like anything else he 's faithful that's <laughs> one thing he 's faithful. How many things in this world have promised to be faithful? And are not. But he's called faithful and true. And not only is he faithful, he's also true. If he says it, if he promised it, if he said it would be, it will be. There's nothing untruth in him. Untruthful in him. So, when it talks about the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets... The, the word spirits there would be better thought of as their hearts or their inner being. This, that, that thing that moved within the prophets. Yes, it was the spirit, but notice it uses the plural, the spirits of the prophets. So it's talking about each individual prophet, um, as, as the Bible says, was moved on by God. The holy men wrote as they were being moved and there was something inside of them that said write this, write this, write this and it didn't make sense to them sometimes and they were writing about things that they knew they would never live to experience but they wrote it anyway because they wrote it for a people that they would never know and so they carried these things through and so the prophets were both the Old Testament and the New Testament The those who wrote the scriptures those who declared The things of God to us. Most of the things that Paul wrote, he was writing to people, but he also wrote about things that were eternal and glorious, things that we would not see until we were in the presence of God, things that were to come, things that were ahead. Prophecy doesn't necessarily mean the future, all right? The Greek word prophetes. the Hebrew word has to do with retelling. It's, it's more of a word which means tell it again, tell it again, tell it again. And the prophets told it again and told it again and told it again. Sometimes they told things that were in the future. Sometimes they told things that were right now. Sometimes they talked about things that were in the past. But they were still prophets. So we've gotten this idea that prophecy has to be about something that's in advance and it doesn't. Paul says that when we prophesy in the church, it should be to edification, exhortation, and comfort. Edification, building people up, encouragement. Exhortation can mean to correct. It's the same Greek word that's used to preach, to tell. So there can be correction. And uh, don't you've ever received a prophetic word? I've I've had prophetic words that God's given me to speak of correction. They're not rebuke, they're not harsh. It's not condemning, but sometimes people need to hear correction. What you're doing is wrong. You need to change the way. And that's just as much of prophetes prophetic word. And so the spirits we did that. But John is writing the same thing. Just like them. Is is there correction in the book of Revelation? Well, yeah, the seven churches there's quite a bit of it. But I mean, once we get to the visions in heaven is there correction? Yeah. Because if you're not living as a believer, this is what you're going to experience. You might want to change your mind, right? You might want to repent. Though that word is not found in places where it says, you know, everybody that's reading this needs to repent of their sin, but you know what? Everybody that's reading it needs to repent of their sin. That's that's just the way it is. And so prophetic things can carry correction and they can carry a warning. And even as as John is writing about things that he's seeing in heaven, even these glorious visions that were almost too difficult for him to describe, there's correction. There's direction. It's like if I want to see that I need to change. Like the word that my grandmother told me my grandfather left for me. I didn't get to be there and to to see him at his deathbed. He called all the rest of the family but my father and my brother and, and I we didn't get to see him and my two sisters. But grandma sat me down at the table and I was far from living for God at that time and she said your grandpa left you this one thing tell Jeff I want to see him in heaven and that little phrase haunted me for years a little over four years Until I opened my heart and received Jesus Christ as Savior, I want to see that phrase was there. There would be things out of nowhere; those words would come to me. I never knew anybody who saw heaven or saw Jesus, and that was, eh, It's a good Lutheran boy, but I'd never, and I never thought about seeing Jesus or having a vision or but those things were there so also the book of Revelation has got these incredible images and visions and promises do you want to be there do you want to escape all this devastation and destruction and catastrophe that is going to come upon this earth you need to change your mind about Jesus that's what the word repent means change your mind change your mind so this word comes to to us at the end just like it did at the very very beginning of the book in revelation chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 it says this is the revelation of jesus christ that god gave to him that he gave to the angel that the angel gave to john To give to his servants, which is the believers. (laughs) So, God, Jesus, angel, John, believers. And it's coming exactly the same way here at the end of the book. Now, Jesus speaking directly to him speaks phrases that take us all the way back to the beginning of the book. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 11 is the first time we read this phrase, I am coming soon. This is to the church at Philadelphia. God had opened a door that no man can shut. And he said, I am coming soon, hold fast what you have so that no, men, no one may seize your crown. What did they have? An open door. Which means an opportunity. And if the door is open, what are you going to do? Walk through it. You, you will want God to open a door, so there it is. Now, please, don't get up and walk out, but the door is open at the back. And so an open door means go, do something. But if you don't do that, because God opened the door, if you don't do that, someone else will, and in that sense, they will seize your crown. They will get what you would have gotten. Because God is not going to let it go to waste. God is not going to let people go to hell because you didn't go. Just like the words of Esther, God will raise up someone else. Or Mordecai. God will raise up someone else. If you're not willing to step forward, God will raise up. Because people are not going to go to hell because you didn't go. But you won't get the crown. And so that will be one of your lessons in heaven loss of reward so there is that promise and that's the first time he talks about coming soon so i'm not going to say well the door's open but i'll go later no because he's coming soon and it it might be before i decide it's time for me to get through the door paul said a door has been opened to us pray pray for us Because there's many adversaries. And then he also said, Pray that that I will have boldness to speak as I should. Paul? Asked the church to pray for him to be bold? Paul? I mean, really? Paul and bold, four letters. (laughs) Same thing, right? No, Paul said, Pray for me that I will be bold to speak as I ought to speak. This door is open. I need to go through it. So, this is the, the emphasis of this I am coming soon. It also a repetition of what we read in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it for the time is near. Can I say another way? I'm coming soon. <laughs> the time is near. And so this... this Words of this prophecy, three other times that it's spoken of here in these last chapters. So four times in this last chapter, chapter 22, this word is found. Prophecy, prophecy, prophecy. And what are we supposed to do? Guard it. What does that mean? Watch over it. Watch over it. Pay attention to it. Confirm it. Put value into it. That's what it means to keep my words. Don't translate the word keep as obey. It's not the same Greek word. This is a military word which means to form a, a, a fortress around, to guard something. Guard my words. What does that mean? God speaks in, in, this, in this instance John's talking about the words of his prophecy. Guard it. Don't let people take this away from you. There are people that say, well, we don't need the book of Revelation. It's a closed book. No, it's not a closed book. He tells John, down below, do not seal this book. Yet, we were told by one of the first Church leaders that spoke to us, don't read the book of Revelation, it's a sealed book. No, Daniel was told to seal his words. John was told, don't seal these words. Release them. And so part of guarding over is not allowing people to steal the book of Revelation. To distort it. To turn it into a cartoon, which some commentaries do. To discount it to make it just a vision to say it only applied to the people that were alive in John's day it's not it's not applicable to us (laughs) yeah it is guard it keep it watch over it and so these are things that we as as believers should do by the way they're about the middle of your page we're not only to guard the book of revelation we're guard all scripture to guard all of his word first timothy 6 and verse 20 second timothy chapter 1 verse 13 and 14 paul tells timothy to watch over it guard it keep it maintain it after hearing and reading the book of revelation we should love jesus more we should have more encouragement we should be built up uh, I told you about the time I, I was recording the New Testament on tape of the Phillips translation and the day that I read the book of Revelation, I'd read through it several times, practicing saying the word so I didn't stumble over myself when I was doing the recording. And I sat there and I read through the book of Revelation. I, I tell you, seriously, I, I felt I could walk through a wall. It was it was like, go ahead, give me a give me a pond, I'll walk across it right now. I was so filled with victory and so filled with energy." So try that sometime. It says that, verse 3, blessed are those who read aloud. The Greek word means to read it aloud. Try it and don't just, don't just read it in your head. If you have to, close yourself in a room and read it out loud. You see it, you speak it, you hear it, and it comes back inside of you. It's a great thing. So the next thing then is John and this angel, and so this angel comes and speaks to him. And uh, this is not something that John dreamed up. This This is coming from God himself. John referred to himself by name three times in this opening section chapter 1 verses 1 4 and 9 but had not mentioned his name since till we get here I John am the one who heard and saw these things Well, I did say so, well I don't believe it well John did and he said God told me to write this down I heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. I probably would have, too. This is pretty amazing stuff. And the things the angel said is pretty amazing. And you could get your eyes on this, but listen to what the angel said. You must not do this. I am a fellow, what? Servant. Servant, Or, again, the Greek word, slave. The angels are just as much servants of God as we are. They're created that way, just to be servants. They have nothing else but service in their heart. That's what they do. They serve the Lord day and night. Us, we get to choose to be a servant. Even after we're saved, we still have to choose to be a servant. Paul uses this word multiple times about himself. I'm a servant of Christ, or sometimes translated minister, but the Greek word again is servant, slave. I know, that almost offends us. I'm not a slave. Yeah, you are. Because the, the distinction a slave is someone who doesn't have their own will. That's what it means to be a slave it's not what you're doing that makes you a slave it's the fact that you don't have your own will you have to do what your master says is that a good place for us to be to do what our master tells us to do so now he's going to speak to him and he says do not seal up this word for the time is near okay again soon (laughs) soon. definition soon Following this, verse 11, we, we read about, there's two different groups that now are going to be spoken to. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Wow, is that a weird verse or what? What do you mean by that? He's speaking to two different groups. Now, no one really knows who is speaking in this verse. There's all kinds of different opinions. It could be Jesus. It could be the angel. It could be John. Doesn't matter. It's the words. It's not who's saying it. It's the words. So the subject of the believer and the unbeliever comes up, like we saw earlier in the book. And just as the unbeliever is known by his works, so also is the believer. If we are made righteous, then what kind of work should we be doing? Righteous works, right? Paul said in Romans chapter 6, so don't offer yourself as a slave to sin. Offer yourself instil, instead as a slave to righteousness. In other words, do righteous things, right? So that's the character that God wants us to have, the works that we are doing. And so who they are is expressed by the actions they do. They're evildoers or they're righteous. That's their actions. Their character is they're either filthy or holy. The righteous do holy, or the righteous works of the holy ones, and the evil works of the filthy ones. And it's like, filthy, really? That's such a word. We don't use that word filthy anymore, do we? Yeah. But one of the the seemingly apparent things in this verse is that the unbelievers aren't going to change. And we are not going to change. We're secure in him. So let's do some righteous works. If my character is holy, then I'm going to do righteous works. And so this is to be read by who? Well, believers are going to read this, but who else is going to read this? Unbelievers. Unbelievers. So this verse is a direction to them because there's something coming. Top of page four, Behold, what? I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. There's those two groups. Unrighteous deeds, judgment. Righteous deeds, rewards. And so he is going to deliver these things as we've seen in earlier chapters. Verse 13 I am the Alpha and the Omega. There's not a name that can be named that isn't made up of the letters in your alphabet, whatever language you're speaking. Here it's Greek, we would say A to Z. Chinese language I think has 600 and some characters or something like that they don't have letters they have characters whatever those characters are whatever language you have has a big first letter and a last letter and every name that can be named every disease every affliction every evil work fits within that and Jesus is the Alpha Omega his name is above every name He's also the first and the last. He's before everything, and he is the farthest extent of everything. So the idea of being first and last. And then the beginning and the end. The beginning is the Greek word has to do with the head from which everything proceeds. Out of the head, everything else comes. But the word end is the one in which everything is fulfilled. So I, I love that phrase the beginning and the end. Out of him comes everything and in him everything is completed." What a a beautiful picture of the Lord. This is the first time these these names have been found other places in the book Revelation. This is the first time all three of them have been in one verse. Now we come to the end of this, this section, chapter Twenty-two, verse 14 blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and they that may enter into the city by the gates who is that that's the believers verse 15 outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral the murderers idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood there again is that distinction and here it's in a picture form Now, outside doesn't mean just outside the city gate, city walls, because this is the new heaven, the new earth. And so in the new heaven, new earth, there is no evil, not just within the city. See the city, and then you have the new heaven, the new earth. Where is outside? Outside of the new heaven and the new earth. All right? So outside of this realm of the new heaven and new earth is another realm called Gehenna. Lake of fire. And so this, either you're in the city because you're a believer, enjoying the new heaven and the new earth, or you're outside. Outside that realm into a realm called eternal damnation. There is no in-between. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. I I love that phrasing, the root and the offspring. Jesus is both the root of David, in other words the, the furthest ancestor of David, but he's also the son of David. Right? That's the beginning and the end. (laughs) He's the one who created everything, and he's the one in which everything is fulfilled. And then also the bright morning star. It's the only time that this phrase is used in reference to Jesus, though he's referred to in other places along this line. But finding this statement here, The bright and the morning star. The morning star is that star that comes up just before dawn. And you have to be up early to see it. It's Venus. And just as it before, usually about two hours before the sunrise. Who is up two hours before the sunrise? Well, some of us. And so um, if you go out, you have to be a purpose. You have to have a nice clear sky. It has to be the right time of year and the right days of the month but just off the horizon you begin to see a bright light and it shines pretty strongly because everything else is dark except down below there's light that's growing and the morning star precedes what's coming the morning star is the Christ that we look at he is our hope the Bible calls him the blessed hope and so this is the blessed hope of those Who are looking for the Lord. Verse 17 says, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. It's not just the church. It's the Spirit within the church. The Spirit says, Come. I've gathered all these people. I've brought them all here. Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. In other words, The spirit of the bride say come and the people who are hearing our message are also to say come. They are to know of the promise of the coming of the Lord. And let the one who is thirsty come to salvation. So here's coming in a different way. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book if anyone adds to them God will add to him the plagues described in this book. Well if you don't read the book you don't know the plagues and so you're not really very much afraid of this verse. Oh yeah. Yeah. Don't add to them. And that doesn't mean for believers to get the wrong translation or whatever. It means to change the prophecy. To change what's being written. To take something away because you don't like it. To change the emphasis. Add to it. Or take away from them and God will take away their share in the tree of life and the holy city in other words they cannot be born again if they're going to do this to this book and the one who testifies to these things says surely I am coming what? soon yeah he is that's what he said but he hasn't but he is but he hasn't But he is. Why? He said he would. And that's the point. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Okay. Thank you, Siri. Go away. All right. So, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Now, the grace of the Lord be with you all. John ends with this blessing upon the people. John is aware that people are going to be reading this letter. And they need the grace of God. Because in John's day, they're going through horrible persecution. But it was nothing compared to what would be in some of the centuries that are going to follow. C.S. Lewis talked about chronological snobbery. Chronological snobbery. And it's like, you've got to find a way to use that phrase. Right? It's, just, it's just too good not to use. Chronological snobbery means nobody's had it as bad as we have. Nobody has suffered through what we're suffering. Our time has been the hardest. Our time has been the most difficult. To see ourselves as the, the worst of all. Look at what we are suffering. Yeah, read some church history. And you realize, you know, it's, it's been horrible for people all the way down through ages. What's Jesus' promise? I am coming soon. Everybody say soon. Soon. Even so, come Lord Jesus. So, Father, we thank you for helping us through this study we thank you for the encouragement that you've given us we thank you Father for the promise of life that is ours nothing can take away what you have promised and purposed for us we have believed we've been sealed and we are destined to this glorious place but Father there is a world around us that is not give us words Give us opportunities. And by your Spirit, give us boldness that we might share this gospel with others, that your name be glorified in all the earth. And we thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.